Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with a representative of CODA to find out what's going on with public transportation these days. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including unemployment fraud, vaccinations, and the return of fans to Blue Jackets games. In about 40 minutes, I'll speak with someone from AARP about tax filing and scams. And I'll wrap up the hour with the head of the American Gas Association talking about the recent mess in Texas involving utilities and whether that could happen here. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone is Jeff Pollan, Public and Media Relations Manager for CODA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, Jeff, it's been a year. Uh, so far, we've made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you were to sum up the last year with CODA and how things have gone or, or just the overall experience, what would you say about it? I think the first um, word I think everybody um, says is challenging, I mean, or unprecedented. I mean, everything that we've we've done in the past year um, has been because of an unprecedented event and everything has been very challenging. Um, I am exceptionally proud of CODA and so many organizations across Central Ohio that have really stepped up in this pandemic. And uh, CODA had made it its mission that, you know, we would never stop running service. We would always be putting our customers first. And and that is something that um, I've been very proud to say that we have been able to do over the past almost 365 days. And, you know, there's always talk about how restaurants and hotels and airlines have been most heavily impacted by this, but certainly public transportation is right there as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, we began it, you know, began it first. We had had restrictions under, you know, stay-at-home orders. So we had to create what we called essential service, which meant we followed the guidelines of the state, which required us to only be available for essential service only, and that was for food, for job, for your own jobs, for care, or to care for somebody else. So we had, to, you know, that re- reduced the number of people who were riding our transit system. And then we also had, you know, people just being told to work from home if they could. So our downtown commuters um, were working from home. Many of them still are working from home. So, you know, at one point, you know, we were down to, you know, before the pandemic, we had about 60,000 passenger trips a day. At one point, we got down to about 16,000 per day. We've slowly been able to build back some of that. Um, We're up to about 25,000. Um, but we're still waiting on, you know, those groups that will be returning back to uh, their office. And, and we, we see that ha- happening later this year. But um, we had, you know, we, we've seen quite a dip in, in ridership, but we're hopeful to see that we're seeing it come back gradually. As you mentioned, the, uh, the usage, I'm curious, because I, I used to, once in a while, I would ride the park and ride from Great Southern, uh, south of town on High Street. And there's one area on that route that goes into Marion Village, just south of German Village, and picks up people about a block in from High Street. I would think mm-hmm. that that kind of a service is still very much used because those folks would go, you know, to Walmart or Kroger down at Great Southern using that route. Yeah, we have, we, you know, we have lines that we actually added buses to during the pandemic because 
um, we we were looking at, we started looking at the data literally every day, especially in the early days of the pandemic, and we were seeing that we needed fewer buses maybe going to Dublin because we didn't have the commuters anymore, but we were seeing in South Columbus or the east side, um, some of those neighborhoods were actually um, utilizing the service more to get mm-hmm. to the grocery stores, to get to their doctor's appointments, to get to their own essential jobs. So we would look and, and see that um, we would need um, more buses on that line um, at certain times of the day. Also keep in mind, we had a restriction of 20 uh, passengers per bus, so we needed more buses on those lines so we didn't have issues with overcrowding. Ah, that's right. Interesting. We currently allow 20 passengers on board um, as part of our policy. It's not a not a federal rule. It's not a state rule. It's something that CODA did in the early days that um, we did. So while we started to uh, build up our sanitization and our protocols uh, to keep our customers safe, um, we kept it at 20 uh, passengers for the better part of a year. And we're looking to when we meet, we'll, we'll start relaxing that rule. So we've always had a large number of buses on the road because we've had to use, you know, twice as many in certain neighborhoods right. uh, because of the, our limit. We, we see ourselves starting to build up. Um, we, we took we took some of our lines down to we re- reduced our commuter lines. We have no uh, rush hour lines right now. That is sort of what we'll see. Uh, the uptick in success for building up our system when we bring back those commuter lines again, or at least some of those trips per day. And we we'll, we hope to see that later this year. Talking with Jeff Pullen from CODA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority, what about the C-Bus circulator downtown and the, uh, the service out to the airport? Yeah, those are still um, being discussed. Um, the circulator, obviously, we, we didn't have it for a while because there wasn't, you know, there were, we were still under that 10 um, p.m. curfew, and um, all of our service was free, um, was no cost to our customers in the for most of last year. We, we stopped charging fares in March, and we resumed fares on January 11th of this year. So pretty much every bus was sort of a was a C-bus for the <laughs> longest period of time. Uh, we'll start taking a look at C-bus and if there is um, interest in that again and, and when that would that would come back. As for the airport, uh, we're staying engaged with our partners at the airport to find out how many people are coming back uh, for business travel. And when we start to see the convention centers open and and, and the hotels starting to book more um, business travelers, we'll start to bring, uh, consider bringing back Air Connect as well. You recently uh, put together a big agreement with Columbus Schools. Yeah, this is you know this is really exciting. Um, we are providing um, you know Columbus City School reached out to us and. Uh, and they had purchased, and we we're providing um, eight, uh, transit passes for 8,000 of their students, eighth grade, grades 8 through 12. And this is not their primary form of transportation. Uh, they will still have access to the yellow buses if they qualify, but this is uh, providing an additional. 
door for transportation for the students. We're just making the door wider. So if they want to utilize CODA to get to and from class, um, they might be students who are within walking distance, but who wants to walk, you know, 10 to 15 blocks to school in the rain? They can pick up the bus at their nearest bus stop near their house and take it to the transit stop nearest to the school and um, in the meantime have access to Wi-Fi on our bus and many of our buses have USB chargers so they can literally charge their phone on the way to school. Um, it's, also, it's also very important to note that these transit passes are from March through the end of August. So students will be able to use this as additional access over the summer. You, can, you don't have to use it just for school hours. You can use it for an after-school job. You can use it to get to an internship or a job shadowing opportunity. Um, you can use it to do a part-time job over the summer or after school. So this is really just opening the doors and giving Columbus City stu school students um, an opportunity um, to explore the community and an additional resource to get to the classroom. Well, that's tremendous. That's almost as good as a work program in itself by offering that kind of transportation during the summer. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't limit them to how they can get to, you know, if their parents can get them to a summer activity or get them to their job. It doesn't require them to have their own car to get to a summer job. This is just providing them um, with an additional resource and really just you know, I said widening the door to get them uh, opportunities that they might need. If they need to use it for a summer class or if they need to use it to get to the library, um, they're not limited by who can get them there. CODA can get them there. I know that uh, CODA gets a lot of funding from local tax revenue as well as federal funding. How is the uh, transit authority doing financially at the bottom line through all this? You know, we've made some very careful decisions. Um, CODA has always been very um, good with handling the resources that uh, we are provided and that we earn. Um, we've, we're we very fortunate to um, to be able to be in a good financial position, and and we attribute that to really good uh, financial decisions uh, made by our finance department. Um, I can tell you that we are, you know, we continue to advocate on the state level um, for uh, transportation dollars dedicated to transit funding, not just for CODA, but all across um, the state. We, that is currently going, I believe, through uh, the um, state house, uh, through the Senate right now. And uh, the, the funding, the initial funding uh, was not very big for uh for public transportation, and we have worked with lawmakers to get that up to about $52 million. So we're really hoping that um, people recognize, that citizens recognize that public transportation might not be particularly for you or me or whomever, but it, it, it serves millions of people across the state and provides them with equitable access to opportunities and that they will, you know, if they feel that passion about public transportation, um, that they they write their senator and uh, they tell them that, you know, keep, keep funding public transportation because it really does 
give people access to the jobs they need, to the health care they need, access to uh, food and education resources. Um, it, again, it, you might have a car, but there are people out there um, who don't, and they need that access, and they need, they want to work, they want to have um, the opportunities, public transportation can help them get there. And I guess going forward, things right now are looking as optimistic as they have any time in the last year, but how quickly things ramp back up is still a big mystery. Yeah. The, you know, the governor, uh, you know, earlier this this past week uh, injected a lot of hope in people, I think, um, you know, talking about when will the restrictions be uh, lifted. Um, I think that that got people very excited about the opportunity of returning returning to some sort of normal. And you know, there will be a time when we have more than 20 passengers on our buses, and we'll be you know we'll be full again. I think there's going to be some things that we'll see, see for some time. I think you know whether masks are required by state mandate is one thing, but. You know, there are a lot of people who have been shaken by this pandemic and affected directly uh, by this pandemic. And I think you'll see people wearing masks around flu season. And I think you'll see people, uh, when they feel under the weather, they'll keep those masks on. It's it's an interesting change in our collective culture, right? We're not going to walk away from this unscathed, but we do look forward to seeing a little more normalcy or what we remember is normal. For people that have been working from home all this time, I think when people start getting back into the workplace, seeing their working partners and, and reforming those relationships again, I think that that'll be easily adaptable and likable again. Yeah, I work from home. Um, I, I work from home quite a bit as well. Um, as part of that, you know, we did that as part of our our contribution to slowing the spread was, you know, staying at home and, and, and working from home when we could. A lot of our our team cannot. We have, you know, we have twelve, we have eleven hundred and fifty employees, and about uh, nine hundred and fifty or so cannot work from home. They're customer service representatives. They're our frontline operators, and they're vehicle maintenance and maintenance tech. Um, you know, we owe a great deal to those. Uh, essential workers who are keeping our uh, country moving. Um, but you're, you're right. I, I think there is, you know, we, we have those who work remotely are, you know, like it to an extent. I got to tell you when, you know, I, I've been able to speak with a lot of local reporters about Columbus City Schools and, and the partnership that we formed with them and being able to go out, uh, go downtown, uh, speak with the reporters, get on the bus, all of that stuff is, I just remember how much I missed that. <laughs> right. And I'm, just, I'm really looking forward to, you know, going back to the office a little more regularly. I've got to hang out with a couple of coworkers from a distance um, the other day. And I just, you just remember how much you miss it. Jeff Pullen, he's the public and media relations manager for CODA. Anything else you'd like to add, Jeff? No, I just thank you for the opportunity. Um, and, Hope everybody is just staying safe. Okay. Thanks so much, uh, Jeff, and and good luck in uh, things ramping back up. Thank you. 
there's a place to share the joy of your team winning it all and a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's a place to share photos of pets or singing in the choir or the time you ate a pepper and your mouth was on fire. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Ask about your company's emotional health benefits. Visit heart.org slash sharing. Brought to you by the American Heart Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. Unemployment continues to be a major issue facing the state. More unemployment claims have been filed in Ohio in the past year than in the last five years combined. This week, another 100,000 were filed but nearly a third of them appear to be fraudulent. Ohio has already paid out hundreds of millions of dollars in fraudulent claims, many to scammers looking to take advantage of the unemployment crisis. As Chief Investigative Reporter Bennett Haverly explains, people are not the only victims. Mike Keller makes another trip to the office to retrieve yet another box filled with hundreds of unemployment claims. Trips like this are unfortunately now routine. So Mike, how many trips like this have you made? This is the third one. No, this is the second one. I had a batch brought to me um, last week, and this is the second batch I picked up here. Is this starting to feel like your new job? My new job. <laughs> at least a good part of it, yeah. He can laugh about it, but this account manager at the engineering consulting firm CAD Concepts has logged serious amounts of work in the past few weeks. More than 750 of these notifications have come to his office from the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services, asking Keller to verify that his company has laid off hundreds of people. There's just one problem. His company only has 25 employees. You can see where this is going. These are all individual uh, claims. And they come out of a variety of different offices. You know, Franklin County, I saw one from, uh, here's a Lima, uh, a Dayton, you know, Marietta. They come from all different offices, but they're all coming to to us, to, 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 our, to our company. Right. And all of those you believe are fraudulent. They're not people who work for you. No, uh, uh, that is correct. No, these people have not worked for us. Keller notified ODGFS and began building spreadsheets in order to help prevent the state from paying off bogus claims. He's also heard from some people, including one woman who confirmed her identity had been stolen. CEO Joyce Johnson says her company feels obligated to help the state address the issue. It's a problem that we have to deal with because we're taxpayers. If we don't respond, all of those people will collect or someone will collect. So we have to be we have to be vigilant and we have to be careful and we have to do what we can do to to change the situation, and which is why I called you. If it's happening to us, it has to be happening to other companies. ODGFS couldn't tell us if or how many other companies, but did say 5,700 employers across the state have reported instances of suspected identity theft. Make no mistake, unemployment fraud is a problem, a big one, according to Blake Hall, a cybersecurity expert who started the company ID.me, which helps states verify people's identities. 
Hall says scammers are following a recipe, targeting both traditional and pandemic unemployment assistance. The program designed to help more Americans forced out of work due to COVID. It's like a cancer that metastasizes. You have like the initial experts and sophisticated actors, but as soon as they open source the guide, then everyone gets in on the action and tries to to defraud the government. This report from the Department of Labor's Office of Inspector General estimates that as of November, the U.S. had shelled out more than $36 billion in fraudulent unemployment payments. So how much of that large figure came from Ohio? According to ODJFS, they've paid out more than $330 million in suspected fraudulent overpayments. A spokesman for ODGFS told 10 Investigates that even though that money has already been paid out to suspected fraudulent claims, the state is working to stop others, noting that in December, we stopped 100,000 fraudulent PUA claims before payments went out the door. Small companies like Keller's, who've also been victimized in this, said they feel compelled to do their part. We need to do the right thing. We're doing the right thing, no matter how much time it takes. Bennett Haberly, 10 Investigates. The state says it's working to identify those responsible and help curb fraud. Right now, when it comes to COVID-19 in Ohio, the big question is, what's the next phase in that vaccine rollout? Well, this comes as local health departments like Columbus and Franklin County continue to struggle with scheduling and crashed websites when so many people sign up at one time for their vaccines. Columbus Public Health says it hopes to have new software to handle more calls in about four weeks. As for more vaccine, that's coming in March because the state set aside thousands of doses to get teachers and staff back in school by March 1st. This past week, 10TV asked the governor about those doses and what that means for vaccinations. Those 50, 50 to 60,000 vaccines a week that were reserved for schools are now no longer going to be needed for schools. They're going to flip over. And so you're absolutely correct. You're going to have those available. The governor says the next round of people to get the vaccine will be people who are 55 and older. He did say that he's thinking about adding smaller groups to those age bands, but did not specify which groups. And Governor DeWine and the Ohio Department of Health are trying to reach minority groups in our state to answer questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. There were virtual town halls aimed at doing just that. One involved our former colleague, Jerry Revish. There's been a history, a history of, of, of fear, a history of we can even perhaps use the word abuse. Um, so, so, Pastor Revish, how do you, how can minorities expect to trust, be expected to trust government and the medical community to take the vaccine? Thanks so much for, for having me tonight. You know, it's about trusting the science and, and trusting the facts. There's a, a lot of great information out now about the vaccine. I remember talking to my congregants uh, when we first heard that uh, the vaccine was going to be available soon. And my thought was then and now, I want you all to get vaccinated. And I didn't get the the complete buy-in that I wanted to from them at first. I was kind of startled at that. There were some people that were really reluctant about taking this uh, vaccine. And of course, we know the history of of Black people in medicine, uh, the Tuskegee uh, experiment and and even before that in in, in uh, slavery days there was a lot of experimentation done on our people and then when you think about the fact that we don't always get um, opportunities to get great uh, medical care uh, there's a lot of, of skepticism going on amongst people so I think the what we have to go back to is what do the facts say 
What does the science say? And there's a lot of work to target the messaging on the vaccine to specific communities going on. I was the moderator of the Urban Resurrection Community Development Corporation's town hall. The primary focus of this webinar is to provide culturally relevant information to the community at large with a specific focus, a specific focus on educating the citizens of the black community. The town hall included medical experts who practice in Columbus, as well as both the Franklin County and City of Columbus health commissioners. A new and direct message is going out to communities of color from medical experts who look like them. The Columbus Black Physicians Network is out with this urgent message about how to stay safe from the novel coronavirus and the importance of getting the vaccine against it. It all began in the year of 2020 when a virus better known as COVID-19 changed our lives and devastated our communities. COVID-19 has impacted our jobs. Our children's ability to go to school. Our ability to socialize and gather with our loved ones. And prevented us from worshiping at our faith institutions. And we already knew that healthcare disparities existed. This pandemic has highlighted just how much of the disparity exists as it relates to people of color. Did you know that thousands of people die every day of COVID-19? As people of color, we are more likely to get COVID-19. Members of the network represent various medical fields and institutions. Because COVID-19 continues to disproportionately affect minorities, the docs felt it was important to create this direct message to overcome any hesitancy about getting vaccinated. Dr. Laura S.B. Bell told me that far too many minorities have had negative experiences in the healthcare system where they felt ostracized or neglected. We understand why you're hesitant. We understand the history of our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. We understand why you may have some reservations, but these are the positive aspects of it, and these are the reasons why you should get the vaccine. Dr. S.B. Bell founded the Columbus Black Physicians Network back in 2016 for member support and networking. They also work to encourage students of color to pursue careers in the medical field. About one in three Americans say they probably won't get the COVID-19 vaccine. That's according to a new poll by the Associated Press National Opinion Research Center for Public Affairs Research. 10TV's Angela Reigert is looking into the psychology behind vaccine hesitancy. This is all about trust and fear. Dr. Dinah Meyer is a psychology professor at Muskingum University. She teaches a whole course on the psychology of pandemics. Part of that, why some people don't trust the COVID-19 vaccine. The core of it really is that a lot of people just don't trust science because they don't really understand it. There's a lot of big words thrown around and they don't really know what it all means. And so that just brings fear for them. Fear, which festers on social media. Misinformation about the vaccine is spreading like wildfire. What happens is that people start to hear those things. They grab onto it, and we tend to remember negative things more than positive things. It's called negativity bias, but there's also confirmation bias. We like to have consistency in our thoughts. So if you have a thought that, you know, vaccine would really be a good idea, I don't want to get COVID, but then you're hearing things like, oh, they're dangerous, and people, you know, they keep changing their minds. Those are two dissonant thoughts. They're two very different, and that makes us uncomfortable. And so we are highly motivated to change one of those thoughts. And oftentimes it's the scientific one because we don't understand the science very well. Why do you think it's important to have these conversations? I know many of us may shy away from them and just think, oh, I'm not going to say anything. 
Um, but do you think that it could be useful if, if we do? You really can help people think a little bit more critically. But there's a right way to go about it. Don't judge or shame anyone. Ask them questions and do it privately, not in the comments section of social media. Pointing people to trusted scientific sources about the vaccine, that's key. Because we all have biases. We all do. But that doesn't equal fact, and that doesn't equal true experience. Reporting in Columbus, Angela Rygard, 10TV News. As more people do get vaccinated and case numbers drop across the state, Governor Mike DeWine is allowing event venues to reopen. Indoor events can reach 25% capacity, and outdoor events like baseball can reach 30%. These venues will need to follow a set of established safety protocols, including masks, and social distancing. Seating will be in pods of no more than six people separated by six feet. This is a start. Uh, as I've expressed to uh, the Reds and the Indians, some of the minor league baseball teams and others, look, we're going to start at this point. If the summer and the spring go, if spring and summer go the way we think it's going to go, we're going to be able to expand these. The seating pods are meant to see people who live in the same home. Guidance on other events like wedding receptions, proms, and fairs is expected soon. So we will report that to you as soon as we get it. Columbus Blue Jackets Nationwide Arena will welcome about 2,000 fans or 10% capacity. 10TV's Clay Gordon has more. Season ticket holders get first crack in getting it. But what does that mean for the rest of us trying to catch a Jackets game in person? We found out. The fifth line has been waiting for this moment. Fans allowed back inside Nationwide Arena to watch the Blue Jackets. The energy in the building may even exceed what you would normally have on an opening night just because it's been so long. I mean, it's been over a calendar year. Todd Rock says the team has been working on extensive protocols for health and safety. Season ticket holders will be given the first opportunity to buy tickets for games this season. We're doing a series of restricted and then unrestricted on sales. So with giving an emphasis to full season tickets, half season ticket plans, partial season ticket plan holders. For those that score tickets, there are new requirements. All fans will be required to complete an online check-in questionnaire answering health-related questions about COVID-19 and must present proof when walking in. All ticketing, concessions, and merchandise will be cashless. You come to your game with your pod, the group that you've bought your tickets for, and then those seats are socially distant from others. Season ticket holders do have the option to sell tickets, but there are new rules. For example, if you've bought a, uh, a pod of four tickets for this particular game and something comes up and you can't make it, then you do have the ability to resell, but you need to resell those tickets as a four. We can do that if everyone is masked. Governor Mike DeWine announced up to 30% capacity for pro sports teams, but that may not be the same for all Columbus teams. Ken Schnacke, the president of the Columbus Clippers, says they are in the process of submitting plans to the governor's office and have begun talks with Columbus Public Health, the department with jurisdiction over the city. Now, as for the Columbus crew, they had supporters in the stands at their historic stadium at the end of last season. A spokesperson tells us they're excited for up to 6,000 fans to be in attendance at their new stadium sometime in July. In the Arena District, Clay Gordon, 10TV News. All right, well, a limited number of fans are welcome to games right now. Governor Mike DeWine says that could change if the coronavirus variant becomes dominant, so something to watch there. A few weeks ago, Governor Mike DeWine lifted the curfew for Ohio businesses. Restaurants and the owners were hoping this would help 
the bottom line there, the Ohio Restaurant Association took a survey of some of its members. 72% said little to no effect on their business, but 21% of restaurant owners said that they can now sit another round of tables. Ohio lawmakers are trying to crack down on racially motivated 911 calls. We'll explain the bill aimed at helping the victims of those calls. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Ohio lawmakers are introducing new legislation dealing with false or racially motivated 911 calls. This week in Ohio, man involved in one of these incidents joined the fight for this legislation. 10TV's Gabriela Garcia breaks down what the legislation means. It's very unfortunate that things like this are still happening. In August of 2020, Darren Cooper says he was sitting in his parked car talking on the phone when a woman across the street called the police saying he was holding a gun and raising it repeatedly. He says an officer approached him with her gun unholstered, telling him to put his hands up. I said, I do not have a pistol or a weapon with me. I have my cell phone. I knew from right then and there I was singing out for being a black male, the vehicle I was driving, and it's just so unfortunate. He says police eventually realized he wasn't doing anything wrong, and Cooper's willing to forgive the woman who made the 911 call, but not forget. I appreciate special thanks to Representative Weinstein, Representative West. He stood with Ohio State Representatives Thomas West and Casey Weinstein, introducing a bill to deal with false and racially motivated 911 calls. The proposed legislation would give victims the opportunity to sue the caller in civil court for damages. If the court found in favor of the victim, the caller would have to complete a court-approved implicit bias training program. After finishing the program, the individual would turn in written proof of completion to the court. What happened to Darren is beyond belief. This has gone on for far too long. Uh, it's time that we start utilizing our resources in ways that are appropriate. These type of biases have to stop. To this new team, their work could mean the difference between life and death. When the officer unholstered his weapon, I really thought that particular day I would have been shot and killed. People like Darren have been targeted while going about their day. Because I see people of color, African-American males in particular, being shot and killed or approached by the police from false claims made by some so-called Karens. My life was spared that day. Reporting in Columbus. I want to speak up and speak out about this for individuals who cannot speak for themselves or no longer with us. Gabriela Garcia, 10TV News. The lawmakers, both Democrats, plan on introducing the bill soon. It'll be named Darren's Law. It's the tale of... Two thoughts on police reform. City Council President Shannon Harden and some members of council hoped to pause the police class and wait for an, a hiring audit to be released. The budget needs six out of seven votes. President Harden did not have enough, so City Council passed an amendment to let June's class proceed. Instead of continuing to do things the way we've always done them, let's take a pause 
and understand this audit and understand how to do better. Compromising this class in the terms, and when you think about what's important in terms of us saying that we want a diverse group of people in the class, this is it. Mayor Andrew Ginther has said all along that he was not in favor of freezing the class. It would have caused delays in things like the Civilian Review Board and the search for the next police chief. Some local students return to the classroom full-time. For parents and children, this can be a really stressful time. 10TV's Lindsay Mills gets expert advice for parents navigating the school reentry process. The stress levels have been very, very high trying to manage work and homeschooling at the same time. Valerie Anderson in Galloway has a lot more on her plate these days. My work priorities haven't changed and I still have to make sure she gets her work done. And being a younger child, you know, they don't just work on their own. I can't say, go log in, do your schoolwork and, you know, be done. I have to help her. Trying to balance her career, caring for her children and helping her oldest daughter, a fourth grader, learn remotely. Parents right now are either looking at months more of remote learning or their children will return to the classroom. Either scenario is stressful. That's why Dr. Megan Shabbing of Ohio Health says it's important to manage that stress. First and foremost, as a parent, you have to manage your own anxiety before you can help your kid manage your kids' anxiety. She says first, you should carve out time, even just 20 minutes, to do something for yourself every day. For some people, it is exercise, yoga, meditation. Other people, it's just maybe picking up the phone and kind of venting to somebody. Then you need to keep in check with how your child is feeling. Hey, how are you feeling about getting back to school full time? Is there anything that's on your mind that's worrying you? Two steps to help parents navigate an unprecedented time. As for Valerie Anderson, there was nothing in the parenting handbook that tells you, you know, what to do during a pandemic. Her stress levels will ease when her daughter can return to the classroom. We're crossing fingers that we can go back full time. So that would be super helpful for us. Lindsay Mills, 10 TV News. Dr. Shabbing adds a few more important things to keep in mind. Give yourself a break. Remember to look out for one another. Take note of the warning signs for anxiety or depression. For example, if you or your child aren't sleeping or you enjoy things that you are, you're not enjoying things that you do normally, or if you notice any signs of anxiety or depression, call your primary care doctor or pediatrician right away for help. In our note of promise today, big news for a Columbus native who's earning top honors from Time Magazine, making its 100 next list. That's the list that spotlights 100 rising stars who are shaping the future of business, entertainment, sports, politics, science, health, and more. I've been working in electoral politics since really I was 17 in Columbus. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I always joke, I've been addicted to campaigns and I have been and like, I just love the way it feels. I love the energy. I love the people power and mm -hmm. I also love the strategy. And um, I had been working in, in electoral politics. And in 2015, when I founded Three Point Strategies, I really founded it to be an electoral firm for black movement to, we were inside of this and still are mm -hmm. this incredible uprising of, of, of black power really. And I knew I wanted to contribute in a meaningful way. And um, I started to really experiment. So my, my second client ever was Stacey Abrams, um, where I had the honor of going on to, you know, help her co-create her strategy in Georgia, as well as be her chief of staff. And I've also worked with Black women mayors all over the country, United States senators, um, congresswomen. You will want to make note of the name Jessica Bird. 
She is a Columbus Alternative High School grad, a cause grad, and right here from Columbus, Ohio. Congratulations to her. And we thank you all for being here with us today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure that those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Donors choose. Support a classroom. Build a future. Did you know that every year, public school teachers spend nearly $500 of their own money for student supplies? Let's do the math. That comes out to over $1.2 billion a year. And that's just not right. At Donors Choose, we want students and teachers to have the tools they need for a great education. And now, more than ever, they need your help. Here's what you can do. Go to DonorsChoose.org and choose from teachers' requests that support reading, math, science, history, and more. Once a request is funded, we'll take care of shipping everything directly to the teacher. It's that easy. You'll receive thank you letters and photos from students and teachers and a report of how every dollar was spent. Teachers' needs have never been greater. Learn more at DonorsChoose.org. Donors Choose. Support a classroom. Build a future. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me is Margie Mannix, who is Vice President and Digital Editor-in-Chief for AARP. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Dave? Good. Uh, Thanks for talking to us. Everybody knows, I think, what AARP is, but give us, uh, just in a nutshell, what it is. AARP is a wonderful organization that I've been with about four years, and uh, we are fighting for um, to make sure that um, every older American um, has what they need to be financially secure and healthy. And uh, it's tax time, and that's always uh, a big issue for AARP. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge, huge. And um, we have a, a wonderful program that we've run for years called the uh, Tax Aid Program, run out of our foundation. And it's offered free tax help for years. And so we still have that this year. Um, we have about uh, this year the big change is we have a number of options for people so that they can do, for example, virtual counseling with some of our um, experts. And that the big change this year is because of COVID, because of restrictions throughout the United States, you have to have an appointment to um, be with to for our tax aid program. So that's one thing I just want to stress right now. You do have to have an appointment this year. Do you find that most retired folks do their own taxes or do they have somebody do it for them? You know, that's a good question. I'm not, I don't really have the statistics in front of me, but I do know that we, that our um, tax aid program is incredibly popular um, and the, uh, the rise in the number of free tax programs. Um, the IRS has a free tax file program, which is incredibly, incredibly popular. And that's for people who have an adjusted gross income of less than 72000 So there are been a number of places where older Americans um, can go to get help, including AARP. And if you go to our website um, at aarp.org slash taxes, we have a whole list of places where people can go um, if there's limited availability for our tax aid program. There are a number of other places you can go to. Um, But Dave, this is, I, I just want to stress to your listeners and everybody out there in Ohio that this, as they probably already discovered, is an incredibly complex tax season this year. Um, there's, I would urge everyone to double check, even triple check what they're doing. And the big thing is, is these economic stimulus payments 
um, you, the ta your tax return, your 2020 tax return, if you for some reason have missed a, the stimulus payment in the first and second round, or perhaps you didn't get the amount that you were entitled to, you can uh, claim that on your tax return. So that's a big thing that everybody needs to look out for. The other thing is economic, um, the uh, unemployment benefits. A number of people have lost their jobs this year during the pandemic, and so they filed for unemployment benefits. Of course, they've been a wonderful, wonderful lifetime, a lifeline, excuse me, for so many people, but they're shocked to find out that they do owe taxes on that. So put those two things together, and it's just a really, really confusing season this year for tax season. So ARP is encouraging everyone to file early if they can. It's interesting, too, because those two stimulus payments that are mentioned on the tax form, one of them for a lot of people actually arrived this year and like the first week of January or so, but it is on this year's tax form. Yeah. And the thing about the t it's if you did not, as we all know, many, many people got their their stimulus payments automatically. But, you know, it, with anything, there's it, it, Sometimes it, it happens. Things go wrong. There could have been a, a snafu somewhere. Or the big thing here is keep in mind is if you've lost your job, your income went down, the IRS doesn't know that until you file your tax return. So file your tax return. If you have a lower income, then you can claim that um, stimulus payment. So there's, there's a lot of ins and outs and twists and turns to this. So you really have to pay very, very careful attention to your tax return this year. Now, but for older Americans, um, there's a couple things they need to think about. There is a special uh, IRS form now called the uh, 1040SR that is designed specifically for seniors and specifically for those, frankly, who fill them out by hand. It's actually easier to read. Um, and that form and the regular 1040 has a worksheet in it for the uh, credit that you can claim for the stimulus payment. So I can't urge people enough to, if they think that they have missed, or if they've missed out their stimulus payment, either the first round or second round, or they don't, um, if they haven't gotten the amount that they think they're entitled to, particularly if they've lost their job or their income has, has dropped for some other reason. They really need to take a look at that worksheet and they have nothing to lose. They really should do that. And the, the other thing here is they have to keep in mind this credit kind of special. So it could even generate a refund for you, depending upon your income and your tax return. Right. So if you uh, if you didn't get the $1,200 payment last year or the $600 one that came right at the end of the year, early beginning of this year, if you were going to owe 400 and you didn't receive those, then you'd get a refund. Yeah, you, you could get a refund. So um, older Americans, frankly, need to pay special, special attention to this. Um, to make sure that they do get the stimulus payments that they um, are entitled to. And we do know, um, I think that, you know, in, um, in Ohio, about 6 million people received um, economic stimulus payments, but we know across the board that we think about 10% of people missed out on the payment for various, various reasons. So we want to make sure that people do get that stimulus payment. Um, so it's, again, ARP encourages everyone to file early. File electronically if you can. We know that's not um, uh, an option for some people, but definitely file early. Talking with Margie Mannix with AARP, tax fraud, bogus scams and emails, that type of thing is always a problem, too, this time of year. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have seen in years past, um, um, even my mother ha has gotten this call where somebody uh, calls up and says they're from the IRS, and so they, they, they threaten that you owe back taxes and they're going to come and arrest you. I mean, that's just nonsense. The IRS does not call. They do not threaten. You know, don't give out any personal information on the phone. 
the IRS, if for some reason you owe back taxes, the IRS will call you. They will not call you. They, excuse me. They will send you a letter. <clears throat> they will not call you on the phone, and they will not threaten you. So do not give out your personal information like your Social Security number on the phone. Now, this year, there's a new twist. These scamsters always seem to be one step ahead of the curve. They are actually filing for unemployment benefits in other people's names. And we have heard reports of older Americans getting the form 1099-G in the mail and says, you have collected this much in unemployment benefits, which, of course, are taxable. So this is not, it's, it's, they've figured out a way to do this. This is identity theft, pure and simple. Um, and people need to know about it. They need to be watchful for this. Yeah, these kind of scams that are going on now, I mean, even the ones that, you know, will send you uh, information about the value of your house, and it, it, it just makes it look like you're behind on important paperwork or something. They're all over the board on this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I um, this is a little personal note. I, I tell my mother all the time about potential scams, and I, whenever I hear of one, I tell her about it. And she will, honestly, she her answering machine, I've trained her not to answer, not to pick up, not to give out her Social Security number. She will call me, I'm telling you, once a week and say, um, I just got a call that said I owe this, or I'm going to be arrested, or the sheriff's coming after me, or, you know, I something's on my credit card. And I'm like, Mom, it's a scam. I can guarantee you it's a scam. They're trying to get you on the phone, and they're trying to talk you into giving out your Social Security number, your Medicare number, something like that. I'm like, don't do it. I said, Mom, if there's a problem, somebody will send you a letter. Don't worry about it. That's unbelievable. Margie Mannix, again, Vice President, Digital Editor-in-Chief for AARP. Where can folks find out more information? They should go to our website, which is www.aarp.org slash taxes. Okay. Thanks so much for the information. Thank you, Dave. Have a good day. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. Many employees unable to work because of COVID-19-related reasons may be able to take up to two weeks of paid sick leave and up to 10 more weeks of paid leave to care for their children whose schools or places of care have closed or whose daycare providers are unavailable. To find out if you qualify, visit dol.gov FFCRA or call a trained professional at 866-4-US-WAGE. This message is sponsored by the U.S. Department of Labor. I grew up, I want to be a doctor, because that's a really important job. I would help kids get better and make everything super fun. I'd have a cool waiting room with games, toys, and a huge TV. If your child is sick over and over again, it could be PI, a serious defect of the immune system. Early testing gives children a chance to dream. And I'll give every kid a cherry lollipop, because that's the best flavor. Jeffrey Modell Foundation, helping children reach for their dreams. Visit info4pi.org.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Karen Harbert, who's the president and CEO of the American Gas Association. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the American Gas Association is. Well, we represent uh, the 180 million Americans that are using natural gas in their homes today and the 6 million businesses. So all the natural gas that's delivered to uh, homes and businesses, those are our members. And I understand there's been record usage of late. You're absolutely right. We have hit a new two-year record for delivery. The last time we had this type of demand was back in January of 2019, and we even surpassed that. So we are delivering lots of gas to those people that are depending on us all over the country. And, of course, I have to ask you about what's going on in Texas because they're coming out of a crisis situation with power outages and gas problems. Certainly, I mean, the situation in Texas is is really difficult and challenging, and, and we feel for the people in Texas, for sure. This is unprecedented weather for them. And, you know, our utilities in Texas, they plan for the worst of times. Uh, on the coldest day of the year, they deliver about three times more energy than electric, the electric utilities do on the hottest day. So they've been delivering natural gas to keep people warm, to let them cook their food, uh, and to try and be comfortable. But I'll have to say it is really challenging, and I know we'll be looking at this situation for a long time. I'm sure, though, that Ohioans look at that and think, could that happen here? Well, in Ohio, you know, you are uh, you have a lot of homes that depend on natural gas, and we haven't seen the type of challenges in Ohio. By the way, you've got a lot of supply in Ohio uh, with, the, uh, with the shale place there in Ohio. Our utilities plan for this. Uh, which is why when it's really cold outside, they can still deliver. Our pipes are underground rather than lines being, uh, you know, uh, overhead. So while we plan and plan and plan, we certainly work with our, our customers as well to make sure they have what they need to be able to afford their utility bills uh, when they are using more uh, more energy at times like right now. My understanding then is that Texas kind of took the cheap way out in not protecting their their facilities from extreme cold and also kind of shut off their ability to get gas from other states? You know, Texas is a market unto itself, so you're absolutely right. They couldn't bring in uh, power from other parts of the country, and I know they'll be looking at that. But they plan for the hottest days. I mean, Dallas is more concerned about 110 than negative 10, uh, and that's what they prepare that system for. In Ohio, you know, your three and a half million homes that, that depend on natural gas, you know, most of that is underground. You're planning for the coldest days, and that's why when it's cold out, uh, your homes are still, you know, being heated by, by natural gas. So Texas has a unique situation, uh, kind of being an island unto itself, which is providing challenges, but it also has opportunities in keeping prices low during the summer. Talking with Karen Harbert, who's president and CEO of the American Gas Association. You know, we hear political pundits, though, who are blaming this on, you know, the new energy, that it's the windmills and, and the solar power that failed in this situation. But that isn't really a, an accurate picture, correct? You know, there are challenges all across the system. Certainly, you know, there is a significant amount of wind in Texas, and some of that came offline. Some of the natural gas power came offline. Production was slowed down because the wells were freezing up. So there were challenges all across the system. I know it's easy to look for a scapegoat. I think the real answer is is we've got to do a little bit more digging to really understand the complexities. But at the end of the day, the solution is the same. We're going to need all sources of energy. If one goes down, something else can make up for it. And I think that's the, the solution, not just for Texas, but for the country. We need it all so that we can 
need every day. You mentioned that Ohio uh, has uh, increased its production of uh, natural gas through the development of fracking in, in shale areas. Uh, what is the supply of natural gas these days? Well, we are producing more natural gas right now than we have in our nation's history, and we're consuming more than we ever have in our nation's history. And, and you know, Ohio, over the last decade, you have increased your production uh, 31-fold, uh, which is incredible. And you think about our country... Uh, now, natural gas supplies 40% of all of our electricity, 30% of all of our energy. So it is a vital resource for all of our 50 states, and it has a long future. We have more natural gas than we ever thought we would. Uh, it's a cleaner fuel. It's very affordable. It's keeping utility bills low for customers of all income strata. So as we look to the future, the future is bright in energy if we use all the resources we have, and that includes wind and solar. It's so interesting because I remember reading articles in the early 2000s about uh, the pending crisis uh, of a shortage of natural gas because all the easy gas had been gotten, and there was no way to get to the more difficult stuff to get to. And boy, what a difference a few years made. Well, they say, you know, innovation, uh, you know, is brought about because of innovated our way forward, and we're going to continue to do that. We're continuing to make our systems better, our gas cleaner, uh, and provide customers the choice that they really deserve. And you're right, back in the 2000s, we were building LNG, liquefied natural gas, import terminals to find ways to bring gas from all over the world, and now we're using those same terminals to export natural gas to 34 countries. So our energy fortunes have dramatically changed because of innovation and technology. Just a couple of minutes to go here with Karen Harbert from the American Gas Association. During the pandemic, you know, we hear a lot about people uh, who've lost their jobs, having difficulty keeping up with mortgage or rent or utility bills. What's going on in the gas industry? Well, we work with our customers and our regulators, you know, our state regulators, like in Ohio, to make sure that we don't cut off our customers, that we can work with them uh, on payment plans. So they have the vital life-saving energy they need when it's cold like it is today. So we voluntarily pledge not to cut off any customers and to work with them. Uh, we also have a program called LIHEAP, and that's Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program. It's appropriated dollars from the Congress, uh, and we make funds available, not we, but the government makes funds available to the states to help our customers continue to be able to afford their utility bills. And we were just uh, able to get additional funding for this winter, $900 more million in LIHEAP funding on top of the almost $5 million we have already to continue uh, that program, and we're asking for more money uh, for this fiscal year. And, Karen, if folks want more information about those programs or other information, where do they find it? You can go to our website. We have a treasure trove of information. It's aga.org. You can find out about your state. Uh, you can find out anybody in state, where your mother lives or your siblings live. We have a great amount of information about natural gas, what it means to the economy, what it means to the environment, uh, and how we're a solution for a cleaner energy future and keeping your utility bills low. So I encourage you to go there, search around, and there's contact information there as well for some of our staff if you want some more information. Karen Harbert, President, CEO of the American Gas Association. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, stay well, stay warm.
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.